Hey everybody, my name is Mike, and this is Conservative Swag. This is a podcast about the political and historical issues of the day and just how much trouble the United States is in. It's an effort to save our country from the left, especially the radicals who've hijacked the Democrat Party, the presidency, and now the United States. I'm doing it because we've got to do something to save our country. I hope you enjoy. Don't you just love the cancel culture? You know, poor Dave Chappelle over at Netflix and all those Netflix people who have lost their damn minds. I feel so bad for anybody who gets caught in the crosshairs of the cancel culture. And all Dave Chappelle did was tell a couple of transgender jokes. What if he had told a couple of fat people jokes? What if he had told a couple of bald people jokes? He'd have got me twice. But he tells a couple of transgender jokes and people lose their minds. You know, I can remember growing up I loved Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy Delirious is one of the funniest videos I've ever seen in my life. And how many gay jokes did he tell on that? I mean, a ton of them. I mean, how many jokes did he tell about the first black president and assassination attempts and Jesse Jackson being the first black president? And how many jokes did he tell about Ronald Reagan? I can remember buying a cassette where he was telling a joke about Ronald Reagan. Sam Kinison was one of my favorites, and I'm a religious person. I mean, I believe in Jesus, and I'm Christian, and I'm I'm imperfect, but I believe in him. But one of the funniest jokes I ever heard Sam Kinison tell was about Jesus being on This Is Your Life. And Sam Kinison told gay jokes. And it just amazes me that in today's world, that gets you canceled. I mean, I just hate the cancel culture. We just canceled Christopher Columbus in Columbus Day, which is stupid. None of us in the United States would be living the life we live without Christopher Columbus. Did he enslave people? Yes, he did. Was it part of the contract that he signed in order to be able to get ships to go exploring? Yes, it was. And that's just the day and the age and the political climate and the world you lived in back then. He actually baptized a lot of natives, and he brought the faith, the Catholic faith, to the new world. And if you're bringing the faith, the Christian faith, to people, whether it's Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, how's that bad? I mean, isn't that what God wants us to do is to spread the faith, to spread the word about Jesus and him dying on the cross? So, yes, that's part of what he did. That was part of the contract that he signed. And we know now that it's a bad thing. Yes, I mean, 100%. But at that time, in that age, that's just what it was. But we all now benefit in this world from what Christopher Columbus did. And keep in mind, when he left Europe, back then it was... It was the equivalent of you flying into space in a dishwasher and having no clue what was going to end up happening. That doesn't make slavery good, but it's what happened. My brother works in the aviation industry, and he told me the FAA handbook and its rules and regulations were literally written in blood. Hundreds of thousands of people dying so that we could then make improvements and things be as safe as they are today. The Triangle Shirtwaist Fire in New York City, March 25th, 2011, 146 people, including 123 women, died. The fire escape didn't work. The doors were locked shut. The fire trucks, their ladders didn't reach the, I think it was the fourth floor, fifth floor. Maybe it was higher than that. It might have been the eighth floor. But they didn't go high enough. And a lot of these women that were caught up top ended up jumping to their deaths. And out of the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire, came a lot of today's safety regulations. It cost us a hundred and some odd lives in just that one fire. Good came from bad. 
So that, I mean, that's how it works. And it worked that way with Columbus. His discoveries led to the creation of the United States. And you may sit there and say, I don't like the United States. I think the United States is bad. Let me tell you about the United States. It's the most just country in the world. It's the most profitable country in the world. It's the most charitable country in the world, the the country with the most equality in the world. We have all benefited from what Christopher Columbus did. We have people wanting to cancel Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, and we would not be where we are without these great men. And it shows me, this is why I have said for years, every generation, about every 25 years or so, we need something massively tragic to happen in this country that threatens our way of life so that the younger people of this country understand exactly what it takes to keep your freedom. Ronald Reagan, freedom is never more than a generation away from extinction. You have to fight to keep it. So Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. But in 1782, Virginia passed a law that said slave owners could voluntarily free their slaves. So why didn't Thomas Jefferson do that? If he was such a great man, why didn't he do it? I believe he is, if not the greatest American to ever live, he's one of the greatest, one of the three or four greatest to ever live. I mean, he was a founding father, the author of the Declaration of Independence, our first Secretary of State, our second Vice President, our third President. He was the man responsible for the Louisiana Purchase. The problem that I have with liberals out there who want to make the argument that Thomas Jefferson was a horrible human being and that his statues should be taken down and that schools should not be named after him is that when they make their argument to, as to why to cancel him, in this case because he was a slave owner, they don't tell you the whole truth or they don't know the whole truth. And my guess is they don't know the whole truth. And that's what I hate about liberals. They don't know the truth, and yet they march around in protest of it, or they do know the truth, and because it doesn't serve their narrative, they don't tell you the whole truth. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Liberals cannot tell you the entire truth because if everybody knew the truth about their ideas, they would never sell. People in our society, people in the United States, I firmly believe there's a good chunk of them have no clue what socialism is truly about. They just think the way we live here in the United States free, that's just the way it is. And they have no idea that it's not like this everywhere in the world. But this is, again, this is my problem with liberals is they can never reveal or tell you the entire truth. I mean, let me put it this way. What if I were to tell you here, let me tell you a story from a liberal perspective. Hey, did you know there was a guy during World War II who took advantage of Jews and used them as slave slave labor. I mean, he actually purchased these Jews and used them as slave labor. And did you know that there there are streets in New Jersey named after him? Did you know that in Israel, they actually planted a tree in his name on the Avenue of the Righteous? That guy should be canceled. Now, what if I fill in the blanks here? Did you know that Oscar Schindler, During World War II, yes, the war started. He was interested in making a profit, but as the war went on and he realized what was happening to these Jews, he began to try to protect them. And he did this by spending his wealth on these Jews. And he did end up purchasing more than 1,200 Jews who survived the war. At the end of the war, when the Nazis made every effort to wipe out every single Jew 
he protected those 1,200 and got them out of the war safely. And as such, in Jewish communities, he's very highly thought of. Now, if you're in the cancel culture, that son of a bitch shouldn't have one street named after him. He was horrible. I mean, that's almost as asinine as the people who think that Abraham Lincoln's statue should be torn down. You're going to call Lincoln a racist after what he did? Good Lord. So back to the liberals. If they want their policies to be implemented, what they have to do is tell you half-truths. And then the great thing about their policies, their policies create all kinds of problems. And so they come to you every two to four years and say, oh, we got this problem. We need you to elect us so we can solve this problem. But their policies created the problem in the first place. And then you reelect them. And they pass more policies, which make the policies that are already bad even worse and create even more problems. And they come back to you and go, oh, Republicans hate your guts. We need you to elect us so we can solve these problems. That's the life of a liberal. Now, about President Jefferson. Let me start by telling you a little bit about a book that I read. I'm actually reading it again, or I just finished it for the second time. Anyways, so the book that I've been listening to is called The Jefferson Lies. And it's written by a guy named David Barton. And it's an excellent book. If you have any interest in the Founding Fathers, early American history, this thing is really good. So fast forward to a few weeks ago, I was getting dressed one day for for work, and they were showing a bunch of cancel culture morons on TV tearing down a statue of, I think it was Robert E. Lee. It was down in the South. They were tearing down a statue of Robert E. Lee. Now, look, I'm not here to defend or not defend Robert E. Lee. That's not the point of this. But they were talking about talking to some of these cancel culture people, and they said, yeah, some of the other statues we want to tear down include George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. So I sat down and started looking around the Internet. just thought I'd find out more information about Thomas Jefferson. And I tripped on this article, but it was on a guy's webpage. And this webpage is wthrockmorton.com. And the title of the article that I read, and I don't know if it was a book review or if it was just an article that he wrote, but it was uh, David Barton, the white uh, the David Barton whitewash of Thomas Jefferson. And what W. Throckmorton does is he makes the argument that Thomas Jefferson could have freed his slaves, but he chose not to. So anyways, a little bit about Warren Throckmorton. He is a college professor of psychology. He's not a history professor, which doesn't make him disqualified for discussing history, I guess. I mean, I wouldn't disqualify you for that. But if the tables were turned, I mean, I don't know how much credibility I would have if I wrote a book about psychology because I'm not a psychologist. I am a history teacher. That's just what I do. And so listening to history stuff is very interesting to me. In this article, Throckmorton references Thomas Jefferson's slaves and says, and I'm quoting, according to Barton, Jefferson was unable to free his slaves while he was alive and could not because of Virginia law. Throckmorton uh, Throckmorton then comes back and says, oh, this is not true. And then he continues and he continues with Barton must know that this is not true because he cited the 1782 Virginia law on manumission, which made such emancipation possible. Okay, so first of all, manumission is the voluntary freeing of slaves. So, I mean, in other words, you could have chosen to do it. And it's true that the Virginia law beginning beginning in 1782 did allow slave owners to free their slaves. So Thomas Jefferson was a selfish bastard. He could have. He's just a racist. He could have freed his slaves. The law in question, though, said that slave owners could free their slaves upon their death, which is exactly what George Washington did. So why didn't Thomas Jefferson do the same when he died in 1826? So Throckmorton talks about Barton making his claim in the Jefferson Lies, and Barton said Virginia law in 1799 allowed owners to emancipate their slaves upon their death through their last will and testament if they didn't do it while they were alive. 
However, in 1826, when Thomas Jefferson died, the law had been changed. You had this window of opportunity from 1782 to 1806, about a 24-year period. So Throckmorton pushes back on Barton, says that what Barton said is only partially true. And he quotes the entire relevant section of this law, and it says that for while Jefferson could have freed his slaves, the law states that young, old, infirm, and weak slaves that are released, the emancipator is required to take care of them or their estate is required to take care of them. But he could release them. Now you say, well, Thomas Jefferson had Monticello. He had a huge plantation. He had a lot of money. He was the president of the United States and made $25,000 a year, which the equivalent of $450,000, $460,000 today. So he could afford to let him go. And think about how many slaves he owned during his lifetime. I mean, 600 during his lifetime, typically never more than about 175 at a time. Surely he could afford to free them. But here's what you need to keep in mind, that in Thomas Jefferson's lifetime, he purchased only 20 slaves of 600. Now, I'm not saying that's good, but why did he buy them? I mean, did he buy them to reunite families? Did he do it to save a slave from a bad situation? I mean, I don't know. But if he consistently owned about 175 and he only bought 20, I can't imagine that buying a couple of slaves here and there really would have made a big difference. And I would also assume that he didn't buy them all at one time. I mean, we're talking over the course of decades. He maybe bought one here, two there, one there, one here. So let's go back to when Thomas Jefferson became a slave owner. How did he get 600 slaves? He became a slave owner. When he was 14 years old, that's when he got the bulk of his slaves, his, when his dad died in 1857. He inherited about 140 slaves as a 14-year-old. Put that in a little bit of perspective. We're talking a 7th grader, 8th grader. And even Thomas Jefferson said, here I was 14, and I had no guidance on what to do. Then he inherited another 30 or 40 slaves from his father-in-law. Virginia law was always very strict about their slave laws. They, in the 1600s, they didn't allow for you to emancipate your slaves. If you did emancipate them, there were stiff penalties in place financially. So basically, if you freed them, they were going to penalize you so much financially that you just couldn't afford to free them. That's one way to get you to keep your slaves. Uh, you had to pay out the wazoo to do so. So in essence, it was a lot easier for a person to keep their slaves because they couldn't afford to release them. If you did release a slave, you had to provide for their education and their livelihood. Now think about how expensive that could be. Then in 1723, a law was passed that said you cannot free your slaves, period, under any circumstances. Now keep in mind that when Thomas Jefferson's dad died in 1757, well, that was the law that was in existence. So he had no choice to release them. Then in 1782, Virginia passed a new law, and this is the law that Throckmorton talks about. And it said, under this law, which is the law that George Washington used to free his slaves, the law said that you could not, that you could free your slaves through your last will and testament. Then in 1806, and this is what Throckmorton leaves out. In 1806, Virginia repealed a huge chunk of that law, putting in place harsh economic burdens on the emancipator for slaves who were old, weak, infirm, or young. Now, let's keep this in mind. When I say young, young was any male under the age of 18 or any female under the age of 21. So let's just call it 18 for argument's sake here. How many slaves were under the age of 18? And old was considered anybody over the age of 45. Those slaves that were released 
that fell into that category had to be financially supported by the slave owner. Slaves were required upon emancipation to leave the state immediately, or if they didn't, they would be put back into slavery. So let's say I have a slave who doesn't fall into those categories, young, old, and firm, or whatever. And I say, hey, Joe, I'm going to let you go, you and your wife, Jane. And Jane and Joe have eight children, all under the age of 18, because families back then, black or white, tended to be fairly large. And they say, well, can we take our kids with us? If you're the slave owner, you have to say, well, because they're under the age of 18, I would have to financially take care of eight children. So Thomas Jefferson was in a financial financial situation where he'd have to look at Jane and Joe and say, hey, look, I can't afford to. I'd love to. I can't afford to. I mean, literally, Thomas Jefferson did not have the money to be able to afford that. So what would Jane and Joe then do? They may choose to go ahead and stay in slavery. A lot of families did that. A lot of families did not want to leave their kids, leave their family, leave their wives, leave their parents, or you name it. It's not that they didn't want to leave the plantation. It's not that they wanted to remain slaves, but they wanted to be with their families instead. And Thomas Jefferson was bound by law to hold on to them unless he could afford to support them. So it was not uncommon, like I said, for people to go ahead and choose to stay slaves. So once again, we've revisited this. Thomas Jefferson had Monticello. He had a lot of money because he had this huge plantation, a beautiful house. You have 175 slaves. What do you mean he didn't have any money? Well, he didn't have money. At one point, he actually approached Congress about buying his personal library because he needed funds. And Thomas Jefferson had a really cool library. So he approached the library, uh, Congress about buying his personal library for the Library of Congress. And, he, and once again, he did this because he did not have money. He needed money to run his plantation. He was broke. So why was he going broke? Well, let's back up even further. During the Revolutionary War, he loaned money to the United States government so that it could afford to function. When it came time to pay him back, the value of money or money had been devalued 97.5%. That meant for every $40 he loaned the government, he only got $1 back. So imagine if you loaned the federal government $100,000. When it came time to repay you, they gave you $2,500. That's what happened to Thomas Jefferson. He took a huge financial hit. Here's another reason that Thomas Jefferson didn't have a lot of money. When his slaves grew vegetables or fruit or whatever they grew, he would actually purchase those vegetables from his slaves so that they would have money. And if they did work on the side, which many slaves were allowed to do when they finished their day's work, he would actually buy their goods from them. I mean, here was a guy who cared enough about his slaves and their well-being that he made sure they had money. And he didn't have to do that. If they went hunting, let's say they go hunting and kill a deer, you know what he would do? He would buy half the meat from them. Most slave owners don't do that kind of stuff. Here's another thing that he did, profit sharing. Slaves, of course, had their shop on the plantation, which they had a job to do. And let's say Thomas Jefferson went to one of his slaves and said, hey, I need a dining room table and six chairs made. I have someone who wants to buy it. And they build this for him. He would then sell the table and chairs and then take the money he made off that and give a portion of it to the slaves. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a guy that hates black people. Now, a lot of people point to some of Jefferson's writings to prove that he was a racist and he didn't think much of black people. Referring to when Thomas Jefferson referred to black people as inferior or not intelligent. But if you only take the sentence or that part of the sentence, it comes across as racist. But here's what he actually said in his, later, in, in his letters. He wrote that black people were inferior by suspicion only. 
He said they've never been given an opportunity to get an education. They've never been given an opportunity to do anything. They've never been allowed to do things that people of other colors were allowed to do. And he said that I would like to think that my suspicion could be disproved. And that is basically Thomas Jefferson saying, look, I think they're more than capable. I bet you they could prove me wrong. It wasn't him saying they are inferior, but you have to keep in mind, slaves were kept inferior on purpose. They were not allowed to learn how to read. They were not allowed to know how to write. So these poor people were kept ignorant. And ignorant not meaning dumb. Ignorant meaning you don't have the knowledge of how to do something. You don't know have the knowledge of how to read. You don't know have you don't have the knowledge of how to write. And that's all Thomas Jefferson was saying was that dude doesn't look like a neurosurgeon, but I bet he could prove me wrong. Back to the point. Wthrockmorton.com says, well, Thomas Jefferson had a 26-year window where there, where he could have at least freed his slaves from, what was it, 1782 to 1806. Yes, he could have. But financially, Thomas Jefferson could not afford to. I honestly don't believe that people know all the little details about Thomas Jefferson. And it's too easy for us today to look back to then and cast stones, kind of like the Christopher Columbus deal. Well, folks, that's it for today. I appreciate each of you that are listening to this podcast. I would love to hear your feedback. You can email me at conservative.swag at protonmail.com. You can also find my group page on Facebook and follow me. You can follow me on Twitter. I'd love to hear your thoughts, your ideas. But just remember, don't give up. Don't give in. And remember that we're not only the right, we are right. See you next time.